Hello, and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bazella, the President and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and the people, events, and policies that shape it. Today, we're going to be talking about automotive design. Every aspect of a vehicle is designed to serve a purpose, be it to improve performance or safety or to spark an emotion. As the technologies used in and to design vehicles change, so do the cars and trucks that result from the design process. Joining me to help provide a glimpse into the world of automotive design is Kevin Hunter, the president of Toyota Motor Corporation's North American design studio, Calty Design Research. Under his leadership, Calty Design Research has designed vehicles ranging from the consumer favorite Toyota Camry to the purpose-built NASCAR Supra. Kevin, welcome to The Overtake. Thanks, John. Great to be here. I'm glad you're here. I've got a lot to get into, and I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to talk to you. I currently drive a Lexus LC500, and if I understand it correctly, you may have overseen the design of that, the 2018 model. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We started the LC500 project probably around 2011, and it was shown at the Detroit Auto Show as a 2012 concept car called LFLC. And that concept car came from our design studio here. Amazing. You mentioned showing a concept car. For somebody like me who loves cars and loves how cars look and follows things like concept vehicles that we see revealed by auto companies at auto shows, the final version still to me has the excitement of a concept car. Yeah, that's that's really great for, for you to say that. And it's it's great for us to hear that too, because that is probably one of the biggest challenges is trying to retain the essence of the original concept car design. And oftentimes we exaggerate proportions. We're going for dramatic effect, of course, in a concept car. Getting all that into the final production car can really be a challenge. And that's one thing we were especially proud of also. And really excited about is that just the designers and engineers working together to realize the drama that the original concept car had. And there were numerous engineering challenges to get to that point. We didn't really even have a platform at that moment to create that concept car. So it was, needless to say, a lot of work and a lot of hurdles. I want to come back to some of those ideas that you laid out just there, but let's kind of step back a little bit further. Tell us a little bit about you and your role at Calty Design Research and how it fits into the overall Toyota universe. Yeah, so Calty Design Research, we were established back in the early 1970s. And at that time, there really weren't any big car companies who had a design studio in Southern California. And at the time, Toyota established Calty to better understand the tastes of the U.S. customer and to try to enter the U.S. market in a big way and basically just generate products that would appeal to Americans. So we were the first here since that time. There have been a number of uh, car companies who have established what we would call a satellite design studio in Southern California. California is a great place for that. It's a trend-setting area for fashion, culture, entertainment. So it's really a fantastic place to have, especially an advanced design studio. And that is 
our big role here in Newport Beach is to look at the future of car design and mobility and communicate with our headquarters office in Japan and generate innovative, fresh thinking for automobiles. So how many design studios does Toyota have in total? Well, there are a number of design studios around the world. There's, of course, our U.S. operation. And, and by the way, Calty Design, we operate two studios. There's one in Newport Beach, California, and one in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that studio handles all production design for North American produced products, for example, like our trucks, Tundra, Tacoma, Sienna Minivan, and uh, Avalon. So we handle all that work there working with the engineering teams in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Beyond that, there's headquarters design, which is in Toyota City, Japan. And there's a studio in Europe, in France, that handles the European markets. And then there's a China studio as well, and there's an Australia studio. So Toyota has a number of design operations around the world that feed ideas into headquarters. And in many cases, they can also handle the regional design tastes for the area that they cover. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there that really are interesting to me. One, the notion that of advanced design. You mentioned California being kind of a trendsetter, fashion, other aspects of, of design and taste. And so how important is that ultimately to automotive design? And how do those ideas come into automotive design? The most important thing is having a vision for where we want to go and what we want to do, what we want to be as a company. And that encompasses many things, our brand identity, getting into new products, perhaps new areas that we haven't been in previously, new opportunities. Lately, it's even expanded into new business opportunities. Lately, we've reimagined our company as a mobility company. And that's something that our president, Akio Toyota, talked about a lot. And we're not only looking at cars anymore, we're looking at all areas of mobility and whether that means cars as we know it, or it could mean things that fly or things that are on water or down to the very personal mobility of perhaps single person vehicles or mobility. So we're looking at all facets. So I think when we're heading in that direction, it really is advantageous to utilize different studios and get different input into innovation and new fresh ideas for how we can imagine our future and what it's going to be. So you sound to me like you spend a lot of time with ideas about mobility, ideas about design. How did you get into automotive design? I would imagine you spent a lot of time drawing as a kid. Is that right? Or what was your path to this point? Yeah, that's a great question. Oftentimes when I explain to people that I'm a car designer, they immediately think, oh, you're an engineer. And then what I explain is that, no, no, no. There are people that actually create the image of the vehicle and the look and the styling of the vehicle. And that really stems from a background in art, which is my background. I really think of myself as an artist. I also had a passion for cars too, which those two things coupled together is automotive design. And being from Detroit, I grew up just outside Detroit and my entire family worked in the car business. So we were just around car talk all the time and it just kind of gets in, into your bloodstream and cars are just passionate, enthusiastic about automobiles and those two worlds of art and a little bit of science and a passion for cars kind of merged together. And that's where my interest in car design really was launched probably in my mid-teens when I really 
started putting the two areas together and pursued it professionally. And basically for me, for most designers, there's a 10 uh, design college, design university, and come out with either a Bachelor of Fine Arts or a Bachelor of Science. Right. And it is true, isn't it, that some of these schools also specialize in transportation design or automotive design? Is that right? And did you go to a school or do you have a degree that really focused on automotive design? Yeah. For me, being in Detroit, it was a perfect opportunity to attend the College for Creative Studies in, in Detroit. So that is one of the best schools in the country, of course, for car design. There are a number. On the West Coast, there's Art Center College of Design, which is another outstanding transportation design school. So for car design, I think it really benefits an artist to pursue design at a school that really specializes in transportation design. Yeah, I would think that would be the case. And having spent some time in Detroit myself, I do remember hearing about that school and the opportunity that students have there to really put all of those ideas together, not only the focus on the art and a little bit of the science, as you said, but also bringing that automotive component into it. So that's really terrific. You mentioned the mission. You have to have a mission or an idea as a company as you're thinking about design. Do individual designers have their own design philosophies also? I mean, do you have what might be called a design philosophy as you do your work? I think for every designer, it's different. The one reason that we really have many designers on our staff is that we we can enjoy their personal experiences and what's unique to them and what their inspirations are. And I always talk about inspiration. Every, we're all inspired by something. I look at it as a very personal matter that when you get up in the morning and what gets you moving is going to be different than somebody else. Yeah, inspirations are really, really important. And as far as philosophy, we do have some brand directions that we pursue from the Toyota and Lexus brand. And that's a, a sort of uh, umbrella of brand identity that we have to consider as we're designing. So along the way, it's a lot of personal experiences. It's understanding perhaps what the customer is looking for. We do a lot of deep dives into customer values and the way people are living, what their lifestyle is like. So it's really a number of sort of pursuits coming together to arrive at kind of a final design solution that, we, that, that solves the problem. But really, probably the number one, the first thing we do is we, we tackle every problem from looking at the customer and what their expectations might be for something that we're pursuing. As we're talking about that, and I think of it from my perspective as a customer, there's a lot that I think about when I think about a car, right? I think about how it looks. Of course, I think about how it functions, how comfortable I am in it. I think about more aspirational things. What does it say about me that I'm driving it? Where does the customer come in, say, in the concept car part of the design process? Is the customer involved that early or is it a little bit further down the line as you're thinking about how this becomes a consumer vehicle? Mainly our approach to research and looking at the customer values is very early in the process. I would say we don't necessarily test ideas so much on the public, but we try to understand what's important to them early on. For example, if we're designing the next Tacoma, we want to meet with our customers and understand how they might be using their truck. What activities are they engaged in? Are they doing a lot of family activities? Is it more personal recreation for them? We want to just understand the scope of our customers and their lifestyle and values. And, and from that 
point, we can make decisions and make predictions about content that might be important to them, features that might be important. The size of the vehicle, is it a passenger priority? Is it utility priority? So we try to learn as much as we can about our target customer before we even get into designing anything or perhaps even going through the packaging study that we would do. And and lately, design and engineering, we've been working together in the very early stage to determine the vehicle proportions. For example, along the overhangs might be what the wheelbase might be, what's the width, the height, where the belt lines position. And if we work together in, in these areas very early, we can establish exciting design and emotional design while giving the customer the functional requirements that they need. So as we're having this conversation, we're in the midst of an extraordinary period of innovation and technology advancements in the auto industry. We're seeing new propulsion systems. We're seeing safety systems, advanced driver assistance systems, and the beginnings of self-driving. When you think about those technologies and innovations, how do they affect the design process? If we think about technology as being one of the main drivers of automobiles, they're working functioning products that basically require a lot of engineering. It does have a lot of impact, certainly on design and how we approach design aesthetic. Even the packaging, for example, if we look at electric vehicles and we consider EVs having in-wheel motors, perhaps, well, this reduces the size of the powertrain components quite a bit. So we're able to utilize that packaging area for perhaps more passenger use or utility use, or we can create a vehicle that has, let's say, a smaller footprint overall. So it really is a game changer in many ways to the types of vehicles we can imagine and the utility applications that we can imagine because for the most part, we're freeing up more space. We're giving more to the user, the customer, and less to the systems or the hardware, the powertrain. So I think that's really a remarkable area that we're all excited about actually, because probably for the first time in in a long time, decades that we've been free to think about vehicle packaging in a new way. There's two things that come to mind as you're talking about that. One is in the freeing up category, and it's kind of maybe an old school way to think about it. And and another sort of thing that comes into my head is maybe a, a, a challenge or a constraint that you have to work around that's a result of new technology. So first, the old one, the steering wheel is either on one side or the other of a vehicle, right? It's on the left or it's on the right, depending on what part of the world you drive in. Why is it not in the middle? Is that a design constraint based on a particular powertrain choice? And is that the kind of thing that could be freed up as we look forward? Yeah, certainly as we look at self-driving automobiles, if we think about the ideal scenario, you never need to personally drive or manually drive a car, we, then we don't need a steering wheel at all. And that brings up a whole host of new possibilities, of course, to remove that from the vehicle. It brings up new seating configurations. For example, let's say with self-driving cars, cars never crash. Or with safety systems, it's impossible for them to crash. Well, then do we need to face forward on automobiles. For example, can you sit sideways? Can you sit backwards? Can you face each other? There's just a whole host of possibilities that we can reconfigure and reimagine what that interior environment is like. Even as cars, let's say we have more cameras and sensors, the automobile is smart and it understands what's around it 
at all times. Do we need as much glass? Do we need outward visibility to be what it is today? Back years ago, outward visibility was very important because it was all a line of sight from the driver and you want a good visibility. But with technology now, that kind of turns that a bit upside down too. So we're there. Just, there's so many new possibilities coming in into play and it's very exciting on one hand. On the other hand, it's very challenging to manage all these new systems. You mentioned sensing capabilities with some of the testing vehicles that I've been in and that I've seen, self-driving vehicles, for example, that are being tested. You see these stacks of sensors that go on the roof <laughs> and around exactly. the outside. It seems to me that's a significant design challenge, right? How do you incorporate all of this new powerful sensing and computing technology in a way that allows the vehicle still to have a functional form, but also is, can still be something that's attractive and interesting to look at. Yeah, that is one of our biggest challenges as we move. We're moving rapidly towards self-driving cars. It does require a lot of technology. And typically those sensors, cameras, all the systems, they have to be, they need to be up high so they can see down road, radar, LIDAR. And as you said, it can be very unattractive in trying to integrate that into the overall design aesthetic. To be honest, I don't think there's a good answer to it currently to get to that point. And as designers, we're always hopeful that the technologies can become more miniaturized, compact, so that they can perhaps be hidden easier. Or there's brand new technology that comes online that doesn't require it to be so obvious in where its placement is. One example we have that's maybe a current today example is blind spot monitors, which are an incredible tool to increase driving safety, but they have to be positioned in a certain place at the corners of the car and there could also be material interference with BSM operating properly. So as designers, we have to think about all these little points of contact with technology and make sure the shape that we're creating is friendly to the technology shape as well and where it needs to be positioned. So yeah, there are just a number of interfaces that we have to go through with engineering to get to the point of creating a beautiful automobile, but also one that functions well. Yeah. I spend much of my life in a big city, Washington, D.C., and grew up near New York City. So I'm a kind of an urban person. I also think of vehicles as an urban person from the outside as a pedestrian. And one of the things I do when I cross the street is I, I try and make eye contact with a driver. It's interesting when there is no driver to stay with the idea of self-driving cars. Are there things that designers need to think about that substitute for the vehicle, for the driver recognizing the pedestrian? Is there a way that the vehicle can signal that the pedestrian is recognized? Is that something that designers need to think about at that level? Yeah, I mean, it is something that we've looked at in some of the advanced concepts that we've been generating. And for example, is there a lighting system on the vehicle when it recognizes a pedestrian that it can flash or even send them a message to say, hey, I see you. I know you're there. I think there are ways that that can be done so that there there is that connection or that communication that's more human to machine. But one thing we've also been looking at too, as we get into more machine-oriented technology or automobiles perhaps, is how do we create a human experience for this technology so that it's easy for people to understand and spontaneously interact with. 
And what you mentioned is one great example of humanizing the technology to the point where it's truly useful and, and you're not left guessing as to whether a machine understands you or heard you. That relationship is really important. We've been talking about how technology and innovation are affecting the vehicle design process, but what about the process of design itself? So over your career, I'm sure technology is affecting the way you do your job as well, correct? I remember going into a design studio when I worked for a, a car company and seeing drafting tables and clay models and things happening in the physical world. And I would imagine since you're building and designing physical things, that still happens. But What's changed? How has technology changed the design process itself? It's been an incredible transformation, actually. And from my era, I was brought up on analog uh, design tools. Basically, everything was manual with pencils and markers and paints and pastels, and we did everything that way. And, and that quickly transformed into more pixels, pixels replacing chalks and markers and we sketched in two two dimensions using computers and then the next huge wave is three dimensions for designers to be able to work fluidly in 3d and create in 3d not only execute in 3d but the creation part of it is done in 3d so we're sketching in 3d now and imagining everything in three dimensions that is a huge game changer and we are fast approaching the ability to be able to do that to truly transition into this fully immersive three-dimensional world that we create in. The beauty of that also is that all that three-dimensional data can easily be transferred over to engineering who can analyze that data, that information based on engineering concerns and provide feedback to design in a fairly quick turnaround. So everything is just completely been transformed in the way that we're designing cars today. From the clay modeling process that we use, a lot of that perhaps five, 10 years ago was a lot of hand sculpting. And we have modelers and sculptors that are highly skilled that, that generate uh, full-size clay models, actually, that look exactly like the car you would be driving. And now that's been replaced with being data-driven and CAD-driven. And then shapes are milled into clay using large milling machines and then cleaned up and that using that kind of 3D process. So everything's been transformed. Even the way we review design is different using virtual reality systems now. We have fully immersive goggle headsets that we use to evaluate, especially interiors, that you can get an amazing understanding of the spatial relationships of the human to the interior and the size of everything and where things are located, where the steering wheel is positioned, where interface touch points are positioned and are they easy to reach. So it's been such a game changer. It has to be. So let's stay in this virtual 3D environment. I am fascinated by this. Does it make the process quicker? I'm trying to think about, maybe you can give our listeners some perspective of, say, 10 years ago, what was an average typical time from the figment of an imagination that became a car sketch to a point at which that production vehicle was on the road? Like, How long was that 10 years ago? And does this technology speed the time to market? That's an interesting point to ponder. I don't think there's any one simple answer to it because different vehicles take different amounts of time to develop. It depends on 
from what point we're starting and how much of the platform exists. But in general terms, I would say that it definitely has sped up the efficiency of our process. But on the other hand, cars have gotten a lot more complicated as well through the years. So some of that efficiency may have been replaced with complexity. So the overall amount of time that it takes us to develop a new car may still be around the same same amount of time. And that's still years, right? It is it's, really it's interesting years. when you think about it. It's not an iPhone, which you know probably takes maybe some months, right? But it's an extraordinarily complex device. It's largely digital, as you point out, and it's got to work every single time for hundreds of thousands of miles and years and years and years. And so this complexity that you're talking about is in some ways an added design challenge, is it not? Companies face the need to address new regulations or new societal requirements that we were talking a minute ago about pedestrians, how to think about a potential hopefully very, very rare incident between a vehicle and a pedestrian, even that affects the design. And if a government has a requirement about how the vehicle and the pedestrian impacts potential crash is addressed, if there's regulation, that's a design uh, challenge, right? That's completely correct. And regulations have added a number of complexities to automobiles and the design process, as you mentioned. And pedestrian impact is one pretty big area that we're focused on. The issue with pedestrian impact is that it generally tends to raise the hood up higher. So if we're trying to achieve a sleek, let's say sexy profile, that's kind of low down and nice, that's going to impact our ability to do that in some regards. Pedestrian impact is one big challenge for design appeal, for design aesthetic value that we're constantly struggling with. There are a number of other regulations that come on board. I mean, to be honest, a lot of our discussion with engineering on our production cars really stems around meeting safety requirements. And it's definitely a big challenge. Couple that with manufacturing challenges and cost challenges and and then throw safety in there. And safety regulations are constantly evolving as well. So we have to be completely up to date on those issues. Yeah. The manufacturing piece, I want to just focus on that a little bit. It, it is an interesting challenge, right? You design one vehicle, but it has to be produced hundreds of thousands of times a year. And if a company's successful, maybe a million times or so that this vehicle gets built. So tell us a little bit more about relationship. Is it possible that a designer might be able to design a spectacularly beautiful line along a vehicle that a manufacturing executive might say, hey, look, it's beautiful, but I can't really build it effectively hundreds of thousands of times like that. Does that exchange go back and forth in a typical design process? Typically, what we've been doing is starting very early in the process of engaging engineering and manufacturing in the design problem and the problem solving. So very early, for example, can we stamp a shape? Is the draw too deep? Is it too long? Is it too big? What are the things that we need to do to meet the manufacturing requirements? And from design point of view, we're always trying to push that envelope out there further and further and challenge the engineers to, to do more and achieve more. And what we found is typically if we can show an exciting design opportunity to the engineers, renderings, ideas, data even, 
that they can get on board and get excited about it as well. And it, and I think it motivates them to do more and go further as well. So the more we can communicate with each other early in the process, the better chance we have of achieving our design goal at the end. So we will start doing stamping studies very early in the process as soon as we have even early data so that engineers can start understanding all the problems. Certainly from my perspective, I love this idea of how to think about automotive design and how it fits so many different elements of what we experience as consumers and how manufacturers think about building cars. But as we get ready to finish up here, how important is the time in which we live? How important is that to the design process? And what I, I guess what I mean by that is that I can think back historically to a different period of the development of the automobile, maybe the 1950s in America, a time of unbridled optimism and a very positive view about the future of automobility or personal mobility in cars. Arguably, we're in a little bit of a different time where there is still a recognition of the power of technology and innovation to produce really beneficial mobility, but there are also challenges. We have to pay attention to the environmental footprint of automobility. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, have to think about safety and making sure that we are providing responsible transportation. How does the time in which we live affect the design process? Not just the elements that go into the vehicle, but how a vehicle might speak to consumers in this time. I think one thing driving automobiles now or mobility as we think of it is how can we imagine not only the aesthetic, but the function of the automobile and the way that the world or society is heading and moving in today. And one area that I just think about a lot is this digitized world that we're moving towards and this connected world. What does that mean really to the aesthetic value of the automobile, of this mobility device, if you will, that we're interacting with and the expectations around that? You mentioned cars from the 50s, and I think there are a number of people that think cars from certain eras always looked the same. They looked looked alike. And, and in many ways, they did. There, there were different variations of styling design, but I think it was all based on the technology that was available at the time. For example, what could be manufactured? What did we have the ability to do? And as we think about technology moving forward, it seems like the possibilities are almost endless now. And that just sets up a pretty exciting array of possibilities that we can consider. And I would say today also that I think consumer taste is moving fast. It's moving rapidly towards desiring more innovation and more advanced technology interacting with our lives in a positive way. And uh, that can also mean something emotional as well. It doesn't just mean in a practical, pragmatic approach, but what's the emotion that I feel towards this product that I'm interacting with? And how does it really factor into my life and benefit my life in a positive way. So yeah, I don't think there's any easy answer to it, but I think there is a fundamental expectation that our digitized world is moving rapidly. And I think people want to feel the excitement around that and the emotion around that and tap into that. That's what we're trying to go after now is to understand this crazy, exciting innovation curve that we're on right now and have our automobiles and our mobility methods meet that expectation. 
Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being on The Overtake. It's been a, a terrific conversation, fascinating and informative, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. Remember to like and follow the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to The Overtake where podcasts can be found. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.